0: James 1.22 has to be one of the most sobering verses in all the Bible. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. How many of us have read that verse and felt the pangs of conscience, knowing how often we do, in fact, content ourselves with merely hearing God's word but not actually obeying it? And how many of us have asked ourselves, or our Heavenly Father, why? Why do we still struggle so much, even as Christians? In our interview today, I'm talking with David Gibson on this constant struggle that we all face and what it reveals about our sinful hearts, our theology, and our understanding of the Christian life. David is the author of Radically Whole, Gospel Healing for the Divided Heart from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, David, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway podcast.
1: Real pleasure. It's lovely to have a chance to chat to you, Matt.
0: So for those who can already tell by your accent, uh, where do you live?
1: Uh, so I'm speaking to you from Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland. I'm not native to Scotland, not native to Aberdeen. I was actually born in your neck of the woods, at least um, Really? In a, in a general sense. I was born in Tennessee. Uh, my parents were training to be missionaries.
0: This is like, it's probably so surprising to everybody. We think of Tennessee, we <laughs> think of a certain accent. <laughs> and not listen <this laughs> And now one. we're hearing yeah. you. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so I've, I've, I've never been there apart from being born there. I have no memory of life in Tennessee. It's all we left soon after I was born. My parents had been training with math mission aviation fellowship, and they took us and it took me initially to Ethiopia, Addis Ababa for about a year. And then, uh, Tanzania in East Africa was where I was on and off until I was eight. And then Northern Ireland after that, my my mum's English, my dad's from Northern Ireland, um, yeah, so the accent's a little bit Northern Irish and a little a little bit Scottish, although not not very <laughs> Scottish. I've I've been in Scotland for eighteen years, been in Aberdeen here for eighteen years. Yeah.
0: So, so uh, your parents were pilots?
1: Um, no, my dad is an aircraft engineer, so he worked on the ground staff and you know got the got the planes flying. But yeah, that's right, Mission Aviation Fellowship. They f- they fly light aircraft into remote situations and you wow. know do do amazing work. Um, yeah. And dad dad makes sure they stay up when they're meant to and come down when they're meant to yeah
0: Yeah, that's amazing Uh, it kind of gets to this like classic idea of the missionary going into these remote places in this small plane it's so amazing to talk with someone who's kind of been in that world
1: yeah yeah it was very quite magical growing up in a way you know we grew up in east uh, two brothers we grew up in east africa in and out of airport hangars and watching planes be painted and engines being worked on and even as a child, you really had a sense you were, you were part of doing something quite special, really, as a team. Um, mm. So, yeah. yeah, it was wonderful.
0: Let's move on to your, your new book here with Crossplay. It's a fascinating book. It's called Radically Whole. And you open your book with a quote from a man named Douglas Copeland. I wonder yeah. if you could read that quote for us and then unpack why you started with it.
1: Sure. So the quote is this. It says, truth be told. The one thing in this world I want more than anything else is a great big crowbar to prise myself open and take whatever creature that's sitting inside and shake it clean like a rug, then rinse it in a cold, clear lake. And then I want to put it under the sun to let it heal and dry and grow and sit and come to consciousness again with a clear and quiet mind. When I read that Douglas Copeland quote, I thought that he manages to nail what being whole feels like. It's those moments you get on holiday, you dive into a clear ocean, you come up, everything just clicks together. You feel a complete person. It's such a, mm. we, don't, we don't have that feeling all the time, do we? we? You get it on these special moments where just everything kind of comes together. And Douglas Copeland, I think in that quote, just manages to nail that idea that when all parts of who we are click together, we feel clean, we feel complete. We feel like we're breathing the right kind of air physically, practically, spiritually, everything.
0: Yeah. I I was struck by the quote because it is such a visceral picture that he paints of, you know, being something in us, being ripped out of us and plunged into this cleaning, cool water. And then the experience of sort of basking in that sunlight and the warmth and the healing.
1: I mean, you're right about it being so striking and visceral. The other thing that you probably pass over quickly in the quote is that he said, The one thing I want more than anything is a great big crowbar to prize myself open. It's like the pain Mm -hmm. he's willing, the pain he's willing to inflict on himself to get that wholeness. I think James, the letter of James is that crowbar, isn't it? It's often, often the Bible is like that. God's word is like that. Hebrews literally says it is a a sword and James is a surprisingly crowbar type of letter. Mm -hmm. It's what God is doing to prize us open, to pull out that doubleness and to make it whole.
0: Yeah. So I think the quote does a great job of expressing that longing. That's, that's the desire that we have for this kind of wholeness and healing uh, that we sense we need. What does it look like, that longing looked like in your life? Or how has that been expressed in your life?
1: Well, I think I've I personally, I've felt the longing in different ways. So there are parts of the Bible that when you when you read them, the description of the whole heart is so beautiful that it's it's what you long to have. So you have... In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 61, Solomon says to the people, let let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes, keeping his commandments as at this day. Psalm 25, may integrity and uprightness preserve me. Psalm 119, blessed are those who keep his testimony to seek him with their whole heart. Mm-hmm. You, you get the same idea in other, other Psalms, don't you, that, that one thing I seek, this is the one thing I want that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. There's a kind of poetic beauty isn't there to the idea of a single love and a single faithfulness and a complete and total obedience. You can kind of taste it when you read the Psalms, can't you? And other parts of the Bible. So in a sense, I've had that really, I think all through my Christian life, those pictures of the way the world is meant to be are beautiful. But I, I think if I'm really honest, I see it as well in the flip side. I see the beauty of the wholeness when I see the ugly of the ugliness of the division. And if we're all honest, I think we see the ugliness of the division more. We see it just as often as we see the longing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what, why is it that in our house we can sit and do family devotions round the breakfast table? And, you know, sometimes it's a car crash. But you can have those mornings where it's all. This is just amazing. Everybody's listening. The dog's not being sick. We're all, <laughs> we're all being friendly to each other. The devotion's gone well. We've had a really good discussion. And five minutes later, we're at each other's throats before mm. we go out to school or out to work. Or you know, what? Wh- why? Why is that possible? And that creates a different kind of longing for wholeness, doesn't it? When you realize that you are capable of with the same mouth blessing god and cursing your brother or sister Mm. and you take a step back like wow i did both of those things and the ugliness increases the longing for the wholeness uh, again but from in a different way i don't know if that quite scratches uh, the the itch of your question but that's something that comes to mind immediately
0: yeah yeah i know as you describe that i can think of even examples even specific moments in my life where i have maybe come face-to-face with that dynamic, with, as you call them, fault lines. The fault lines that run within us that that do testify to this dividedness that's in us. Uh, are, are there any kinds of examples or, you know, are there moments in your life that kind of stand out to you as particularly powerful moments where you recognize these fault lines?
1: Um, I have particular graphic examples of family car crashes, for instance. In the book, I talk about one instance of one of the worst arguments my wife and I had during lockdown, one of the lockdowns was during our home online church service, not not after it, not before it, but during it. And mm. that we started, we someone made a comment about something and someone else responded. And before we knew it, we were engaged in an argument that we felt so strongly about. We had to finish it off later on in, out in my study. You know, this, that's a really good example of James's thing about the same mouth doing mm. cur- cursing and blessing all at the same time. We, we we started arguing straight after our confession of sin in and, in, you know, it was a truly horrifying experience for us both right in front of our, our kids.
0: I'm sure no one else listening can resonate with any of that. <laughs> no one else has ever done anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Well, so that, that gets at one of the core things that we feel when we recognize something like that's just happened. We've just... You know five minutes before been praising god worshiping god praying to god perhaps in fellowship with our spouse and then you know five minutes later we've done something that we look back on with shame and with regret and we're like what how could we have done this
1: i I guess the simple simple answer is we should expect to have these kind of experiences but it doesn't make them right you know it would have been wrong for my wife and i to say oh well we're works you know sorry kids That's just, we're not not perfect yet until Christ returns and we get glorified bodies. And in the new creation, you know, stuff happens. Sorry, kids. James says, doesn't he, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Hmm. So it's why James is a crowbar. It's why the word is a sword. The constant message of the Christian life is you need to put to death the sinful nature and the deeds of the flesh and... The Pauline imperative of put to death, the deeds of the flesh and uh, crucify the sinful nature. James's version of that is these things ought not to be. So stop doing these things in the book at a couple of, a couple of points. I've I've got a couple of CS Lewis illustrations that become very precious to me personally and to our family over the years. One is CS Lewis's image of what God is doing with people is like building a brand new mansion. We think when God comes, Christ takes up residence in our h- heart and comes to live in us. We think what God is doing is simply adding on a little, seriously, he says, you think he's just going to do a bit of internal decoration and add on a wing here and there and, you know, a wing of the house and do a bit of that. He's actually completely remaking the entire thing. He's transforming the cottage into a palace. Mm. And, and that is incredibly painful.
0: You know, picking up on that metaphor of the house, I think, you know, we hear that that illustration from Lewis, and it sounds so good. Uh, It does sound painful. It sounds dramatic, maybe more dramatic than we think, but it also could maybe testify to the experience that we have of, yeah, we think God is supposed to be remaking us as a house, and yet 20 years on after my conversion, there's still those squeaky floorboards that the question we might wrestle with is, why hasn't God replaced those yet? Why are those still there? Why can't I seem to get past those? So, what would you say to that? How do we think about the slowness of the "quote-unquote" renovation that we experience in our lives?
1: If, if I'm really honest, the short answer is I don't know. God, God, God doesn't seem to be in the kind of hurry we're often in, does he? On on so many levels, James chapter five. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. That's not exactly the issue you're talking about, but you get the next verse. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. There is something about the slowness of God's work in our lives that we find frustrating, but which nevertheless one day somehow will be part of the glory of what he's doing in our lives. Um mm. I, I do I do think it's particularly difficult for us as moderns. We are technological people, not organic people, aren't we? That in our world you click a button, you fix things, you send the email, you make things happen. I've been in America just recently visiting some folks for a few days and the difference between British and American context is really striking. You really are the people of you make things happen. You you yeah. just get things done. There's a can do attitude that you know not completely but generally is stronger than in the uk that's more reserved and cautious and very british and may, maybe maybe we'll see what um <laughs> it's very it's very hard and but we're weird but it's not that we're any better theologically or spiritually we still over here we want things done we're less good at getting them done but we want things <laughs> done quickly and it's very the, the organic language in the bible of farmers and sowing and the kingdom growing slowly and God's work in our life being slow is very hard for our modern. Mm. What, why God has chosen to do it that way? I'd probably need to reflect to come up with a better answer than I'm not really sure. But there's going to be fruit from it somehow that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, it gets at some of those basic questions that we do wonder about God's plan and His sovereignty. You mentioned this idea of being patient, you know, and, and that is something that is hard for us. Do you think there's anything to what we sometimes hear from people when it comes to our own struggles and even our own sins that some of us might need to learn how to be more patient with ourselves even? That, that maybe that, that is part of the way that we are meant to respond to these fault lines that we see in ourselves and the slow progress that we make. Is that a wise way to think about our own struggle with this double-mindedness?
1: Yes, I think so. I think that's often, I think pastorally, that's often the answer with a, with a lot of things. It's not a way of excusing your sin, but it is a way of saying sometimes we're harder on ourselves than God is. Sometimes I see in pastor ministry w- with the issue of forgiveness, the one person that people can't forgive is themselves when actually God isn't like that. I, I think with the fault lines in our lives, what in James, with the fault lines of a double heart and a double mind, what God wants from us when we see that. It's not immediate perfection. Perfection is exactly what he wants from us, but He doesn't he doesn't expect it instantaneously. What He wants from us to get to the place of perfection is humility. So humility is James's main heart setting for handling your own fault line. Chapter four, verse six, he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the pride, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you so that the person who sees their own fault line and comes to God with it and sees their own dividedness and comes to God with it, God never turns his back on that person and says, look, you've done it again. There's your family devotions that have blown up again. Um, And what we need to do as a family when that happens is do what James says and submit ourselves to God and draw near to him again, and he will draw near to us. So it's the, it's the humility is the key response to what you see about yourself.
0: Yeah, in the book you point to marriage and the faithfulness and the intimacy that that is supposed to be evident there, and that it's kind of baked into that institution. And you really argue that that's foundational for how the Bible talks about what it means to be right and whole, in our relationship with God. I wonder if you could unpack that for us. Where do we see marriage as this picture of what it means to have a a fully faithful, undivided heart when it comes to God?
1: Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. This has been, for me, one one of the greatest insights in the book of James that's really helped me. And it was This is not unique to me. I thank a man called Andy Gemmel at the start of the book, who's a a wonderful pastor and Bible teacher here in Scotland, in Glasgow. And Andy's helped me a lot over the years in the book of James. One of the things I came to realize in different ways is that this idea of double-mindedness, and here's what I mean by what I said earlier about it being more than an intellectual thing. This idea of double-mindedness, another word for it is adultery. Hmm. That, that's what you get in chapter four. James says, you adulterous people, friendship with the world. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So you see the division, the, the the doubleness, friendship with the world, and enmity with God. And as I saw that in the book of James and realized that adultery is the lived out illustration of what double-mindedness means, in a way, all of a sudden, the whole book of James, I thought, ah, oh, this clicks into the whole... Bible story from the beginning of time when God creates Adam and Eve, you get the, you know, the famous words from Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That picture of male female relationship very quickly in the old Testament becomes a picture of God's love for his people. Hmm. So that when his people deviate from God, the language that God used, particularly in the prophets, Ezekiel, other places is the language of spiritual adultery. See, time you get to the New Testament and the Apostle Paul and the letter to the Ephesians, it's just really clear, isn't it, that that marital relationship between man and woman is the picture that God has given to say to his people, this is how close I am to you. So the, the language in Ephesians 5 is astonishing, isn't it? Ephesians 5, verse 27, Christ presented the church himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. What an amazing thing. In marriage, self-care is other care. You Mm. you cannot be a married man and look after yourself without looking after your wife. I mean, you might be in the gym. You might have done everything. You might be on top of the world mentally, intellectually, physically, in every way possible. And if your wife is not cared for, you are not the man you think you are. Mm. You, you you, you, have self-harmed in some way. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. The Lord Jesus is as close to me as a husband and wife are in sexual union. It's just an astonishing thing. their you know, union with Christ is not a sexual image, but the closest thing you can find to explain what that means is... Mm sexual union of husband and wife as, as one flesh. So you put James in the context of the whole Bible, the idea that God is that close to us in Christ, he loves us that much, and we are meant to love him in return. The, the picture that James has of the way the world should be is the way the world should be a permanent wedding, shouldn't it? That's what the garden of Eden was meant to be. It was meant to be a permanent celebration of heaven on earth man and woman together, God God with mankind, and if you want to understand what we have done to God and to ourselves and to the world by being divided, then it's the marriage picture you look at to see the effect. You know, the, the, a husband cheating on his wife is what we do by choosing mm. sin over loving God.
0: It's so amazing when you do start to see that central importance of marriage. And and the meaning that marriage has in the Bible, the meaning that goes so far beyond the human to human relationship, but it actually is almost more foundationally. Would you would you say that's true? More importantly, marriage is about teaching us something about God and our relationship with Him. Is that a fair way to state that?
1: Yeah, I, absolutely. That that's what you get next in Ephesians five, isn't it? No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Next verse, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So every single time I marry a couple, every single marriage that you see, the whole point of it is that it is me- it is meant to illustrate how God has loved us and because in the way that God has loved us in Jesus, you see the perfect marriage, it becomes the model and example for how we should treat each other and how we should love one another. I don't think we really do get that very much. We understand how a wife and a husband and wife are close to each other, but we don't really think Jesus is that close to us. I think he's out there somewhere in my heart or he, lo- he loves me and I love him. But to think I'm actually united to him in that mm. same way is astonishing.
0: Yeah, it seems like it, it cuts both ways. If we truly understood the significance of what human marriage is telling us about our, our spiritual marriage, so to speak, to God through Christ, we would both appreciate how close he is to us, and, and, and that would be such a thrilling understanding to fully grasp how much he loves us and the intimacy that is there. But on the flip side, it probably helps us, it would help us better understand and appreciate the... The betrayal of this divided heart that we so often not just have, but kind of maybe give a pass to. We don't we don't worry so much about uh, as we maybe should. And on that front, as we think about our divided hearts and the challenge that we face there, you write something interesting in the book. You, you say the first thing to learn as we walk the road of becoming whole is that it involves him telling and our accepting him being God. It involves him telling and our accepting the truth about ourselves. I wonder if you could speak a little bit to the importance of that honesty, the willingness to tell the truth about ourselves and how that fits in with this whole conversation.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, it's simply the idea you go to the doctor and the doctor says to you at some point, this is going to hurt. And mm. you accept it because you know he's not a sadist. He's not laughing. He's not doing it just for his own pleasure. And he's going to hurt and you're going to leave more broken than you came in. This is going to hurt because the pain of the hurt is going to lead to your healing. And I I just think that's, that's the letter of James in a nutshell, isn't it? That we think, you know, do not be double-minded, you adulterous people, stop this betrayal of the Lord Jesus, your true husband. And we think, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I, I like the idea of wholeness. I want to be perfect. I want, I want that King David, Sam's wholehearted devotion to them. that's me. I want to sign up for that. And James says, okay, if you want that, take a seat. This is going to hurt. There is going to be pain. You need to. You're going to need to learn a few things about yourself. You're going to need to learn what you're really like. You're going to need to learn what you need to stop doing. You're going to need to learn what you need to start doing. You're going to see where wholeness grows from and telling the truth about yourself and about how wholeness comes about that. That's what I mean by that phrase that we all like the idea of perfection, but the truth of how you get there is painful. We all love Mm. the idea of going to the, the gym. We all love the idea of the perfect body and the people who have the perfect body, when they tell you what it costs them to get it, we're like, yeah, not so much.
0: So probably one of the most famous verses in the book of James uh, would have to be James one twenty two and 23. So, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For as anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, but then forgets it and goes away like he was. I, I wonder if you could help us understand what James is getting at with this, these couple of verses.
1: Yeah. Uh, you're I mean, you're entirely right. It is, they are the sort of standout verses, aren't they? Um, it, or what mo- some of the most well-known verses. I mean, in the book, I give the example of years and years ago, I met a man for breakfast one morning in a, in a name and a place that shall remain nameless in case he's ever listening to this. And I'd never met him, but I didn't know him, never met him before. But over as I met him for the very first time, I had to say to him, look, your jumper, your sweater, you guys would say, is on inside out and back to front and he so was like
0: his, oh it's his sweater that what he was wearing yeah
1: yeah it was in, inside out and not just inside but back to front and he was really quickly he's right oh right okay yeah sorry He was really apologetic and embarrassed and took it off turned it round, and you know we carried on awkwardly together um <laughs> james says imagine the type of person who you say that to and he looks down and says oh yeah so it is and just carries on off he goes into the day he has coffee with you and off he goes and you're sort of shouting after him, you know, no, hang on, I told you it's inside out. And he says, yeah, yeah, I know it is. He just ignores it and off he goes. It's a kind of picture of what we do in a, it's metaphorically a picture that we hear the sermon. Yeah, so we, we've just finished Ephesians, for instance, in church. And we, we're working through Ephesians 4 and 5. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. And we all nod along we all that's what the word says to do and we don't always do it it's as simple as that we we are always very good at hearing by the time we're angry again that night or two days later we we're like the man with the sweater on who's just heard and off yeah. he goes and i i think i'd argue in the book a little bit that part of james's brilliance is the simplicity of saying just do what the bible says if you literally stop lying to one another and if you stop being angry and if you do what the bible says of when you're angry don't sin and don't let the sun go down if you actually say with my with my spouse i will not let the sun go down while we're still angry and you actually do that you will progress towards being whole it's as simple as that and as hard as that
0: i was going to say because it it, it, is you say it like that and as james says it be doers of the word it's it is simple but It's so hard you know like we think about being an argument with your spouse or you know resisting some kind of attraction to sin in some way and it's sometimes incredibly hard and we don't know how to do it so what would james's answer be to that when we say okay i want to be a doer of the word but how
1: so i think he would say it is all about your personal stance whether you are proud or humble everything comes back to that middle bit of the book james chapter four about about pride and humility, that the humble person will, yes, of course, this side of glory still not always do what the word says, but the more that person seeks God's grace humbly, for each time they're angry with their spouse when they shouldn't be and they go to bed and the sun has gone down and they've sinned in their anger and so on. Every time you retain humility with that and come back to God for grace and repentance. It's hard to explain in, in those moments, godliness grows and the people who keep short accounts with God and with each other slowly over time do end up being angry with each other less. So to give you an example, again, the CS Lewis one, one that I use in the book, this is to me has become a really beautiful picture. Um, I think you see it in lots of ways in the in the Christian life and through the Bible. C.S. Lewis has an essay called "Let's Pretend." I think it appears in Mere Christianity. He's put it in there as a chapter. It was a radio address originally. "Let's Pretend," and he said there are good ways and bad ways of pretending. There's pretending when you you hand out you put it put your hand out to someone to shake their hand, but you're actually reaching around their back to pick their pocket. Your the handshake is a pretense that is not real. But he said there's another way of pretending, which is what children do when they put on mums makeup and mum's high heels and mum's clothes and walk across the living room pretending to be grown-ups or oh, they put on the football kit of their superstar they wear their mum's doctor's uniform their dad's work coat all of these things the child is pretending to be what they are not yet but what they will one day become they are growing up into adult life yeah and CS Lewis says all the things that the bible tells us to do to to clothe ourselves in humility, to be gentle, to be compassionate, to not be angry. If you dress yourselves in those things, even though they are not yet organically true of you, you will grow up into them.
0: Hmm.
1: but Paul says in Galatians, when you were baptized, you were clothed in Christ. And I think the imperative of the Christian life is, so if, if you were baptized into Christ and you're wearing Christ, then get, Every single day, put Christ on, get dressed with Christ, wear what he wears. And over time, you grow up into those things. So progress in godliness is possible, isn't it? There Mm. There are people in their 80s and 90s who used to sin in their anger all the time. And they would now say they're still like that because I think the more godly you are, the more you grow in holiness, the more acutely aware of your sin you become they they will see their own sin and their own anger but actually as you look at their lifespan we would say oh you're a lot less angry now than you used to be Mm. um that kind of growth in character is possible if you wear those things in advance does that make sense
0: yeah and it's such an encouraging thing to be reminded of i think we pay lip service to knowing that the growth can be slow and and painful at times but it happens but I think you know it's only it's often only in looking back over a longer period of time that we can see that that growth that God has worked within us and and as you said, said before kind of settle into being that patient endurance as we continue to walk forward uh, maybe as a last question David I wonder if you could speak to the person who is listening to us today and does does feel a sense of discouragement a sense of maybe exhaustion at their own double-mindedness, at the fault lines that they see in their own heart that just don't seem to want to close up. What would you say to them?
1: That, that's a lovely question, isn't it? Because many of us are like that. And I've been there at certain points. I think we're all there at different times, aren't we? I, I would want to say, uh, as you feel James's crowbar, can you see where his arm is? So in other words, what does he say all along? Brothers, children, James has his arm around you as he's saying to you, look, I can see a problem here. I can see there's a fault line. or There's a, a an aspect of division. James is not above you, looking down on you. He is gentle and patient. He, he, he comes alongside. Although the medicine that James gives us is sharp and is difficult, it is a medicine of grace. He just keeps saying, God gives more grace. He is gracious. Come close to him. Keep coming back to him. In James, is never a, a right. You know, you've really blown it now. You not, not again. You that's you finished. If you are humble with the very thing that is upsetting you and discouraging you, and you come back to God again, God will welcome you. God, God is all. It's it's the amazing, beautiful picture of, and I, I talk about this in the book as well. James's connection to the parable of. The, 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 two lost sons, you know, the, the elder son who stays at home and Jesus is teaching stays at home and is hard hearted. And the younger son who blows everything and is welcomed back with open arms mm. to, to both types of son, the welcome was the same at the party. It was come in. You, you can be forgiven. All I have is yours. Many people feel we are that prodigal son we just keep blowing it again and again and we we keep forgetting that god is that gracious forgiving welcoming father yeah
0: well david thank you so much for taking the time today to i think help us understand this dividedness in our own hearts that we so often sense and can feel dissatisfied with and sometimes don't honestly know what to do with thanks for leading us through what the book of james can help us with on that. it's
1: a real pleasure i've loved talking to you thanks very much matt
0: that was David Gibson on our struggle to hear and obey God. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Radically Whole: Gospel Healing for the Divided Heart. Pick up your copy of the print book for 30% off or get a copy of the ebook or audiobook for 50% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org/plus. That's crossway.org/plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. That helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.